Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. What's up, family? Welcome to Brother from Another. Michael Smith has the day off, and in other news, today is Wednesday. Okay, look, that's what you call a little joke, a little joke. And that's where I want to start today. You know, I love uh, I love comedy, every aspect of it, the construction of a comedic line, the delivery, the timing, the stage presence, how comics push us to places that we never really thought about before, how they, uh, they, they demand, they push us to look at things in a different way. And sometimes... With their pushing, we either accept something that we weren't ready to accept before or we reject something that we always accepted. Let me tell you something. I used to have this great, this great birthday tradition. Every year, this is a long time ago, long time ago, long time ago in my single life, uh, I used to, around my birthday, I'd find a weekend either before my birthday, after my birthday, sometimes both. I'd go to New York City. I go shopping, of course. I find some good food, and then I would search out comedy clubs. I'd find a comedy club in New York City, and they're everywhere, right? So I never was disappointed looking for a good comic in New York City. I'd go there. Sometimes I'd sit in the front row. I got roasted a few times. It was all fantastic. I love comedy. That's why I'm so disappointed with the news of the day. If you looked at it, and if you, if, even if you didn't look, you might have uh, heard, okay, Dave Chappelle is trending. Why is Dave Chappelle trending? Dave Chappelle is and was trending because last night in Los Angeles at the Hollywood Bowl, Dave Chappelle was attacked. He was attacked on stage. Somebody had a replica gun. Now, Chappelle fortunately wasn't hurt and was able to joke about it later. That's what the best comics do. Chappelle fortunately wasn't hurt, but if that replica gun had been engaged properly, it was tackled while on stage at the Hollywood Bowl. You see the headline there. If that replica gun had engaged properly, a knife would have jutted out of it, and who knows what could have happened to one of my favorite comedians. So I don't like where this is headed because. I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to say it this way. Okay. A lot of your neighbors, your neighbors and mine, a lot of your neighbors are just no fun. They're no fun. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to give you a little test. I used to have a test. I'm going to go, go back to my uh, single life again. I'm fine now. Uh, this year, we're going to be married 15 years. I'm happy. Three kids. Everything is good. We're going to be together forever. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not romanticizing single life, but I'm going to do this for somebody. Somebody, this is for free. I used to do this thing when I dated. The first date, you know what I'd ask? Tell me what it's like when you're crazy. I mean, I know I know you're fine and everything and everything's good. We're having laughs and we're enjoying some wine and, and we, can, we can go to the club and all this stuff. I want to know what it's like when you're crazy because that will inform what I do next and what we do next, okay? I want to know what it's like when all of this is not together, when somebody makes you mad. But here's another thing. Here's another test for you guys. For you single ones out there, you should ask somebody 
Give them 60 seconds to figure it out. And if they can't do it in 60 seconds, uh, Uncle Michael is going to advise you move on to somebody else. Tell me something funny about you. Not a funny story, but make fun of yourself. If you can't make fun of yourself, then maybe you're part of the problem. Just like that guy last night was part of the problem attacking Dave Chappelle. And just like that guy, we know him as Will Smith, is part of the problem. I'll say it like this. In comedy, everything in the right hands, with the right audience, everything can be funny. I mean, Dave Chappelle, hell, joked about slavery. And it was funny. Dave Chappelle joked about slavery and lots of things. And he has joked about things recently that have offended people, but I still think that's the best comedy because it leads to a conversation. It leads to some tension and it leads to a dialogue that in the best case scenario will take us somewhere. But the flip side of that is in the wrong hands, an inefficient, unfunny comic and the wrong audience, nothing is funny. Nothing is funny. So this is not really a, a, a comedy problem. This is a this is a bigger issue. So comics have said recently that they don't know where this is, where this will wind up because they have found in this. We're still in COVID, but on the backside of COVID, I'll be hopeful. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. I'll be hopeful on the backside of COVID that these audiences are a little tense, a little angry. Uh, easily agitated, but it's not just them. It's not just them. You find it outside. You find it when you're driving around in your car. I saw a story a couple of weeks ago that road rage Well, you know, you just drive by somebody and maybe you give them the Draymond Green. We'll talk about him later. The Draymond Green, the Kyrie Irving, you know what I'm talking about? The double birds, flip them off, middle finger or something else or just mouth something and you just keep going your other way. You keep going on your way. You go your direction. They go theirs. No, 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 no. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. I saw this story that road rage has become a contact sport. And so sometimes, you know, people are chasing each other on the road and it is leading to some pretty violent confrontations. And in some cases, truly, uh, unfortunately, uh, is leading to fatalities, but that's not my point. Okay, that, that's a little dark. I don't want to go that dark because this is about comedy. This is about comedy and laughing at yourself. But it's not just there. It's not just on the comedic stage where Dave Chappelle has to think about it and Chris Rock has to think about it and others. And let me ask you, when's the last time you laughed at your own politics? When's the last time you laughed at your own politics? You should be, do that. Do that every now and then. When's the last time you laughed at your own sports team and allow somebody else to do it as well. We've seen incidents where you go into the wrong park and you're just cheering for the wrong team and people lose their minds. When's the last time you laughed at your own musical taste? There's a lot to laugh at on that one, isn't it? Uh, you see the video here playing last night. The guy who went after Chappelle was attacked himself and I'm not sure that's the right way to deal, deal with it either. He attacked Chappelle. A bunch of people jumped on him. They punched him. They kicked him. Uh, he had an injured arm. He's led away um, on a stretcher. Taken away by ambulance. 
who knows what happened to him, but uh, the crowd felt like that was justified. But I think I think here's the thing. Here's here's our, here's our agreement today. Why am I starting here? Because I want to laugh a little bit. I want us to laugh a little bit. Do me a favor. Let's laugh. And the Will Smiths of the world, go sit down. Go sit down. Shout out Jamie Foxx. That's a Jamie Foxx line. Go sit down somewhere. Like some of these folks, why are you even coming out? Will Smith, why'd you come to the award show? Uh, a, a, a heckler um, attacker. Why do you deal with uh, Dave Chappelle that way? Okay, fine. You don't like what he has to say. Just deal with it another way. But I, I'm, I'm afraid that one of my favorite sports, the sport of comedy, where you see a performer on the stage doing their thing and the audience wrapped the audience really elevated somewhere else, just taken to a place where it's just somebody's words. What they're doing is creating word pictures and telling stories without any props most of the time. It's just you're sitting around listening to someone tell a story and you're laughing. That's a great sport. I'm afraid that that sport is going to be compromised a bit because some of your neighbors, not you, but your neighbors, some of your neighbors don't know how to act. They shouldn't be out the house. All right, so this is what we're going to do. You know what we're going to do? We're going to laugh today. So coming up next, we're going to talk about therapy. <laughs> That's at least ironic, right? That's ironic. Come on. It's a joke. Laugh. But in all seriousness, uh, coming up next, we're going to take a little break. I'm going to tell you why after the break, I'm going to tell you why Ryan Tannehill became one of my favorite people yesterday, one of my favorite, real, authentic athletes yesterday by a couple of things he said but number one is therapy look if you're a great comic which i'm not but if you're a great comic therapy is funny sometimes disappointment misery is funny laugh people let's laugh let's have a good time for 25 years nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a mike's hard lemonade it's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. All right, welcome back. Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. I just, I just, I'm just bothered by this. I'm bothered when people just take themselves too seriously. I'll tell you a lot of funny things about me. I'm not going to tell you everything, but I got a lot of funny things about me and ironic things, such as I haven't played a lick of football. I haven't played a lick of football in my life. I really, I was a terrible athlete, and yet um, I have a career as a sports journalist. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I love it. I love that. Come on. Look at me. Five nothing. A uh, little, little, little happier than I want to be. A uh, little heavier than I used to be. Uh, I used to have, keep my pounds right around 145, 147. As a grown man, it was like 147 pounds. Like 5'9", 147. And I'm not that anymore. Anyway, uh, a, a little guy like me talking about sports for a living and having zero athletic ability. It's a beautiful thing. But there are funnier things than that. But I'll say this. Uh, Thanks for letting me uh, rant because I didn't get a chance to tell you 
what's coming up on the show. I'm really excited about this show today. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of places to go and some people who are making their brother from another debuts. So we will have real talk in about I'd say about 20 minutes. We're going to have real talk with Ashley Nicole Moss, who you know very well. She's been on the show several times, but she'll be joined by Amina Smith, who is from NBC Sports Boston. Uh, she knows Ashley Nicole. I've been trying to get these two on the show together. Really looking forward to that. We're going to talk with a guy named Ekam Nagra. Ekam Nagra. Uh, he's also a basketball guru. He's going to be making his debut today. And then well, about an hour and hour and a half, I think uh, my math is, is not so great, but an hour and a half will be joined by the ever eclectic, always interesting. One of our producers said, I think Jason Johnson, Dr. Jason Johnson is the most interesting person I've ever come across. And I was a little, a little offended by that because, hey, hey, you know, how about me? Can, can I uh, can I play in that league? No, I can't. But Dr. Jason Johnson will join the show today. But I mentioned that Ryan Tannehill became one of my favorite people yesterday. And I always like Ryan Tannehill for turning his career around going from Miami being discarded by the Miami Dolphins going to the Tennessee Titans as a backup taking over that job and getting the Titans to the AFC championship game has become a very good starter in the NFL. But Ryan Tannehill said some things yesterday that are bigger than football and I'm a fan. You will be too. Check this out. It's a scar. It's a deep scar. You know, it was a, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, every time I closed my eyes, I was I was uh, rewatching the game in my head. Um, didn't get a whole lot of sleep for for weeks and weeks after the game. Um, was in a dark place and it took me a while and a lot of work to to get out of it. You know, it wasn't something that that went away easily. Man, it's still a scar that that I'll carry with me. You know, throughout the rest of my life, you know, but just like a, a, a cut on your arm, you know, starts off as a wound. Um, you're able to uh, to heal from it, and uh, it turns into a scar. It never leaves you, but it's always there, and it can remind you. And now it's it's fuel for me. It's fuel for me to uh, to work and and get ready with uh, with a passion and come into this season with with a fire and um, you know a desire to win like I've never had before. It took a lot of work to get through it. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a day. It wasn't a week. It was weeks and weeks and weeks to, uh, to, to get through it. Uh, you know, a lot of sessions and, you know, at this point I can look back at it, recognize it for what it was and learn from it and, uh, and move on. Has therapy been something you've done before Ryan or was that new after this? No, I've, I've, you know, been doing that, um, for a little while now. Um, but definitely, you know, I think, uh, this is the first time that it probably I absolutely needed it to pull me out of a, a dark space. You know, here are a lot of people uh, in a lot of in a lot of sports kind of romanticize yesteryear. You hear that a lot, right? I mean, we just talked about it on the show. I think it was on Monday show where James Worthy was tweeting about a file that led to Draymond Green's ejection from game one of the Western Conference semifinals, Grizzlies Warriors. We'll talk about them coming up. But James Worthy was saying, hey, back in my day, back in my day, that wasn't a foul. It was a foul, but it wasn't a flagrant. You get two free throws and you keep it moving. And you'll hear some, some version of that depending on what you're talking about. 
You could be talking about movies. Well, you know, movies today, they aren't, they aren't like they were, you know, 20 years ago. Music today, it's not like it was 20 or 25 years ago. Fashion today, and that's a lie because fashion is cyclical. It all is like it was. And, and, and what's new today will be out of style and then we'll come back in style. It's all cyclical. But you'll hear these people, and it's really just trying to embrace a, a, a purer time, a better time. But one thing I do, one thing that did exist 25 years ago that doesn't exist as much today, and I'm so grateful that it doesn't, and that is there was this silence. There was this shame over therapy. Like therapy was for other people. Therapy was not something to be talked about in public. And if your athletes talked about it, well, maybe something was wrong with them. And, and you might accept it if they went through something traumatic in quotes. It had to be traumatic because if it was an athlete, particularly a quarterback, the leader of your team, if the leader of your team was talking about therapy uh, to get over a loss or to understand the loss better, somehow, 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, that was viewed as a softness. That was viewed as a weakness. And I'm just so glad that Ryan Tannehill not only did what was best for him, but shared what was best for him. I mean, that, that, that really, you would think that, okay, you know, Ryan Tannehill, you know, good quarterback in the league, has had some success, got pretty good, got a pretty good arm, uh, former wide receiver, got pretty good speed. Sure, you know, Ryan Tannehill, you know, good NFL player. But I would suggest that Ryan Tannehill did more in that moment, did more for more people with that press conference than anything he's done on the football field. And his football, his football play has been pretty good. I know, I know there are a lot of jokes about Tannehill. He threw three interceptions in that game. And uh, the Titans were the number one seed in the AFC. They were at home. They were playing the Cincinnati Bengals. They should have beaten the Bengals. Right? I know. But Tannehill sharing his story, I think, just really moves me. Uh, I, I know Michael Smith has talked about this before, and we've had conversations about it. Uh, right before the pandemic, I was going to do it. Right before the pandemic, I, I had a birthday. I had a birthday that uh, was a mi- some consider a milestone birthday. Yes, I'm okay. I'm 50. I'm 50. I was 50 then. I was 50 then. Uh, I was proud of it. But I, 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 I mentioned at the time, had a conversation with myself. My 50th birthday, I'm going to go to therapy just because I think more people should do it. Even if you don't think anything is going on, anything is worthy of, of a therapist, it's just a good exercise to do. And just when I decided to do it, what happened? I had a pandemic. Everybody shut down. Nobody's uh, in close communication. And I didn't want to have my first therapy session over Zoom. So I didn't do it. Kind of let that slack off a little bit. That was two years ago. But Ryan Tannehill has helped me. Uh, He's probably helped others as well uh, with those comments. And I think the other thing I take away from what Ryan Tannehill said is just the influence, I guess for better or worse, I really don't have any judgment on it, but it just speaks to the enormity of the NFL. 
you really think about it. Let's say you're dropped in from outer space and you hear people talking about a football game in January where the losing quarterback goes to therapy after it. You say, what's wrong with you people? You've lost your perspective. You lost your minds. Okay, fine. But we're football fans. And so we know that we give we give exaggerated importance to these things and we don't really apologize for it. But it really speaks to the, the, the cultural footprint of the NFL where you're a quarterback, he's admitting it. The, the pressure of the franchise, the, the pressure of, uh, or the expectations of the franchise, the expectations of Nashville, hell, all of Tennessee, he felt that on his shoulders. He threw those three interceptions, including a great play, the third interception. Don't worry about it, Ryan. That was a great play by the Cincinnati Bengals. It wasn't necessarily your fault. Great play. Uh, they made the play and made a, uh, made the moves in the end to win that game by three points. But he felt like he let he let his franchise down and he, he let he let his city down, and that required therapy. And I guess the takeaway is yes, the NFL is huge, and 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 though the spotlight can be harsh, and so you feel that even even though when you step back and look at it a year later, two years later. Five years later, just say, okay, the Tennessee Titans lost the playoff game to the Cincinnati Bengals. What's the big deal? But he didn't look at it that way. And the other thing is, all right, therapy, you can go for it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is big and you got to explain it to and somebody else doesn't need any explanation for why you're going. If it's big to you, it's therapy worthy. Thank you, Ryan Tannehill. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Uh, let's take a little break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, two sisters that I really have a lot of respect for. Ashley Nicole Moss and Amina Smith. They know basketball. They know storylines. They know fashion. They know New York City. We're going to talk about all of that. We're brother from another returns. And we will have some laughs promise you. We're going to laugh today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, it's time for Real Talk, presented by Capital One. And Real Talk, Amina Smith is somebody I see all the time. All the time. But this is a debut. This is a debut on Brother From Another and as you know, Amina, we've been trying to get you on the show for a long time, but fortunately, uh, you're able to make it today. How you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I, I was had a little bit of sleep because I was up late last night inside of TD Garden doing the post-game show, dealing with a lot of excited fans. I will say that, but uh, got rejuvenated. I'm back in the studio. I'm ready to work. Oh, ready to work. Now, listen, uh, this is just it's just one of those days where we got to adjust to what's flying at us. You know this. You know, Amina, by the way, y'all. Amina hosts basketball coverage on NBC Sports Boston. She hosts football coverage on NBC Sports Boston. 
And I don't know, man. Maybe next week she'll do the weather too. I don't know, but she can do it. She can do it all. We got to adjust to all the things that are going to be thrown at us. Ashley Nicole Moss is going to drop into this segment at one point. That's the plan. We'll figure it out. But before she comes in, I was just thinking about this, Amina. Uh, mm. Before last night, I'm saying, man, they, these playoffs have been so nice. Like Celtics Bucks, they talk about how they res- have respect for one another. It's great. You know, Warriors, Grizzlies, uh, you know, not really nasty. Uh, you know, it was a Draymond got ejected, but he said he was trying to hold my man up and, you know, things just happened. And then all hell broke loose last night in Memphis. Let's take a look. I don't know if it was intentional, but it, it, it was dirty. And, um, <clears throat> you know, playoff basketball is going to It's supposed to be physical. You know, everybody's going to compete. Everybody's going to fight for everything. But there's a code in this league. There's a code that players follow um, where you never put a guy's season slash career in jeopardy by taking somebody out in midair and clubbing him across the head and ultimately fracturing very helpful. This is a guy who's been toiling the last six years trying to make it in this league. Um, finally found a home just, you know, playing his butt off this year. Um, in the playoffs, you know, this should be the time of, of his life. And uh, guy comes in, whacks him across the head in midair. He broke the coat. Dylan Brooks broke the coat. That's how I see it. After you got hit in the eye when you walked off the court, you flipped off the fans. It looked like what was going through your mind? If you're going to boot somebody who get elbowed in the eye and face running on blood, you should get flipped off. So I'll take the fine. I'll go do an appearance and make up the money. But it felt really good to flip them off. You're going to boot someone that get elbowed in the eye and blood running on your face. I could have had a concussion or anything. So if they're going to, if they're going to be that nasty, I can be nasty too. And I'm, Assuming the cheers was because they know I'll get fine. Great, I make $25 million a year. I should be just fine. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I, okay, I mean, there are a lot of places to start there uh, to really go from that. Uh, Draymond said a lot. Steve Kerr really said a lot, too. Steve Kerr talked about Dylan Brooks breaking the code. So let's start with Kerr's comments. Do you agree with him that there there is a code and that it was broken last night off of that play? I feel like in every sport, there's definitely a code that players know, right? And so I hear Steve Kerr talk about it. I hear other players around the league talk about it. I heard J.J. Reddick talk about it this morning. And if everyone's saying the same thing, Holly, I have no reason to believe that they're lying. I mean, if that's the code, if you have a player that's airborne and their feet leaves the ground and they're in a vulnerable position and you don't make a play on the ball, you make a play on that person's body, then it's dirty. And I mean, we're not saying that Dylan Brooks is a dirty player or that he plays the game that way. But in that moment, that specific situation, if it comes across that way to everybody else in the league and Steve Kerr is calling them out on it and you have players that are stepping up and saying, hey, that's not a play that is a play on the ball. It's more so looking like you're trying to take that person down. Then I have no reason but to believe that. But again, I don't think that Dylan Brooks is a, a dirty player. But in that moment, that was a dirty play. Yeah, it was a dirty play. There's no question. I think part of it is 
Um, we always talk about playoff basketball. Hey, that's playoff basketball. You know, you're not going to give up anything easy. Maybe before the playoffs, I, I think maybe officials need to come in and say, okay, you may have heard a lot of mythology about what we allow in the playoffs and, and, and what we don't. Well, like, like you guys are taking it too far. Like we think that anytime somebody goes to the basket and you put an elbow in their chest and they wind up on their butt. Hey, okay. That's the playoffs. Like, how do we get to this point? It's like maybe what we're seeing is it's most of the time, especially at this level Amina, semifinals right before the conference finals and obviously the NBA finals. You got the best of the best playing. So officials don't want to get in the way and mm-hmm. and and put their fingerprints too much in the game. They shouldn't want to. I mean, unless but you think that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, is that you think that's part of the problem? It's like we don't really have uh, a clear definition of what what goes and what doesn't go in the playoffs. I think that's definitely part of it is the inconsistency because just like you said, coming into the playoffs, everybody know that, that you know everybody's going to be physical, that everybody's going to up the ante a little bit more. But I think that's on the officials officiating the game. That's their job. Their job is to make sure that everybody's playing the same type of basketball consistently all across the board. So if you have, for example, like you're playing the Bucks, if you're looking at the Bucks and Celtics series, right? And you got somebody that's like, you know, putting the shoulders in the chest, putting the elbows in the chest, and they falling down to the floor and it doesn't get called. And then you watch another game and then that gets called and it's a foul or whatever it is. Then it's just like, okay, well, is it a foul? Is it not a foul? Is it too physical or is it not too physical? Are you praising teams that are more physical teams or, you know, allowing them to be more physical because that's just who they are? You know, it's just, it has to be consistent. That's the thing for me is that I feel like when you have physical teams these referees they're like okay that's just how they play if they establish that at the beginning of the game it's like okay well they're not going to be called on certain things whereas if you have a team that's less physical and they try to match the physicality of the team that they're playing then it's just like oh well you can't do that it's like no come on it, it has to be consistent all across the board I mean I gotta say I gotta say when we talk about Draymond Green now his comments and the double birds double birds from Draymond doing his thing but his comments after the game now I, I don't know I, you don't have to agree with me on this but I feel no. like I just don't want to throw it in anybody's face so if if I happen to make and I'm going to tell you right now I'm not making 25 million dollars a year or even half that you but sure? if I were to if I were to make that if I were to make that amount I don't need to come out and tell you, hey, you don't care what you do to me. Go ahead, you know, find me because I make $25 million a year. So it ain't nothing to me. Do you think that that will play well? I know it's not going to play well in Memphis, but overall, yeah. NBA fan base, we know everybody's, everybody's well paid is good. But when you're kind of bragging about it, flaunting it, how do you feel? I, it, it, it's, it's not a good look for me, but what do you think? Honestly, I disagree. I don't care because Draymond Green, really? he's right. He, make, he makes 25 M's. If they find him 15, 20, $25,000, guess what? That's a $20 bill. Okay, that man does not care. That man does not care at all. And I understand it because in that moment, it seemed like, of course, he was frustrated. He was upset at the response of the people inside the arena. And so he responded as a human. I mean, we know Jay- Draymond Green is a hothead, child. We know that he is going to let you know how he feels. And 
in that moment, the double burden, that's how he felt, okay? And he carried it over onto the podium and let people know, hey, look, I'll take that risk. If people, you know, they feel like cheering when I get hurt and there's blood, uh, you know, gushing down my face and you think it's okay to, to cheer while I'm walking off the court, I'm gonna let you know how I feel. And look, he makes $25 million, Holly. Look, if they find him 15, 20 or $25,000, I have no problem with Draymond Green saying that, hey, look, it's nothing to me. I'll take that L knowing that I came out and responded the way that I felt like responding and I'm comfortable with that. Okay, but here's the thing. All right. They don't they, they're not thinking in Memphis and you may you may be right. All right. You know, maybe I'm too sensitive on this topic, but I think Draymond Green is too sensitive responding to the boo. Hey, how they gonna boo me. I could have had a concussion. You're right. You could have had a concussion. They're not thinking that second third fourth drink. It's the playoffs. Their team is down zip one. They just want the Grizzlies to win and Draymond Green is walking off the court. They may not. Everybody can't see how bloody it is. Everybody, they don't know how hurt he is. No, no, don't and, do that, Holly, because we and, know the jump on time will show you how it looks. Do not say that okay. because people in that arena, they knew that there was blood coming down his face. Even if you're a okay. fan and you're cheering for your team, it's like I would never cheer this? knowing that somebody is hurt. All right, Amina, that's a fair point. Well, how about <laughs> this? Let me try it from this angle. Draymond Green is the guy we just saw him in game one. Man's in the air, and we see his hand clasped to a jersey. And then he says, uh, you know, and look, no, no, I was just trying to hold my man up. I was trying to hold my man up. He got ejected from game one. So he's the villain in the eyes of Grizzlies fans. They think he did something dirty in game one. He didn't necessarily break a code. They think he did something dirty in game one. Something dirty happens to him in game two. So they might be cheering not just for game two, but they might be cheering for game one. Yeah, that's, right? a possi- that's, that's a possibility. I will say that, but I don't know. I feel like even as a fan watching sports, if I see somebody get hurt, like I never feel comfortable either like booing or like cheering or anything like that. Like my initial concern just because I'm a human is like, dang, are they okay? You know what I'm saying? Especially like if there's blood gushing from his face. When I saw the clip, I was like, oh, dang. Like, I'm like, dang, he looked like he got like hit pretty good. I would be concerned if I'm a fan, even if I'm cheering for, you know, the home team, the opposing team, whatever it is. I don't think that, you know, I would be on the side of, of saying, you know, okay, well, whatever. He did this in game one. Well, he deserves this in game two. That's just not me. Mm. Depends on who it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it all depends. It all depends. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, you watched last night. Uh, you were in the building, TD Garden, as you said. Celtics, Bucks, game two. Now, I'm just really amazed by this. Kevin Durant in the first round against the Celtics. I haven't seen Kevin Durant that harassed, that bothered by a defense. I don't think ever. What the Celtics did to him, I haven't seen that much from Kevin Durant. And Giannis, even though he had a triple-double in game one, he's shot, I think it's 20 for 52 now uh, mm-hmm. from the field in two games. Are you surprised? Not that the series is tied at one, because I think it's going seven, but are you surprised at how the Celtics are able to defend Giannis very effectively? I am a bit surprised at how they're able to defend Giannis because I thought just watching Giannis, knowing that he would bully his way to the basket more times than not. And now we have seen him do that but also, I just feel like the way the Celtics are switching on defense, just how quick they are. And also, let's point out, Grant Williams, 
he has really hit another level Ooh. in this postseason. Yeah. I mean, guarding KD, guarding Kyrie, guarding Giannis. I mean, he's not the defensive player of the year. He's not Marcus Smart. But damn there, he is stepping up to the challenge. And even watching Grant Williams inside of TD Garden last night, he just had a different swagger about him. It looked like he just took his game to a completely new level. Like he has really committed on the defensive end of the floor. And when he gets that assignment of guarding the superstar on the opposing team, he is not backing down. I think that's honestly, I think that is a huge part of why the Celtics are able to contain players like Giannis, like KD in these two series. All right, now were you one of these people? Now, now tell the truth. Now tell the truth, because we can find this somewhere. We can find the, we can find the evidence. Everything is on the internet, on the cloud, uh, mm. on the NBC Sports Boston website. We can find it somewhere. So, oh boy. what was your prediction? What was your prediction before the series started, and has your prediction evolved? Let's say you that. know what. So, so honestly, I didn't do a prediction when this this Bucks Celtics series started because I just had no idea where it was gonna go. I knew it was gonna be a dogfight either way. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I knew it was gonna be a dogfight. I feel like it's gonna go seven games. But thinking about it now, I would say, and I know Celtics fans are gonna be mad when I say this. Ooh, I think ooh, ooh, I, I think like I, I think <laughs> I like it. I like well, it. Come on, come on. I Here we go. Here we go. I think it could be Bucks and six. I think it could be Bucks in and six. six. I think it's now six. Why, no, no, no. Why do you say that? Why do you say in six? And now it's tied up. Right. One apiece. Going back to Milwaukee. At, you have Milwaukee winning both of those games there. I think there's a possibility they could win both of those games. That when the series goes back to to Milwaukee. So game three. I think though. Honestly, I think I think the Bucks will win game three. I think there's a chance for the Celtics to come out and try to like you know hit them back in game four. But I think the Bucks being at home. And the Celtics not having that signature win on the road just yet is something that yeah. stands out to me. And I've watched them play, you know, in Pfizer Forum. Like, I watched them play the Bucks out there. And trust me, that is an environment that definitely rattles them, you know? And so I feel like once this series goes back to Milwaukee, we could see the Bucks hit a totally different level. Maybe Giannis is not shooting at 9 to 25 or 2 or 12 in the first half. Like, you know, he's getting that momentum. And then once he hits his stride, the rest of the guys on that team, they do as well. They got shooters on that team. They got guys that could, you got four or five players, six players that could, you know, come out in double figures in this series for the Bucks. So, um, I think that's kind of how it'll end up. The series will come back, and I feel like Boston, they could, you know, win that game, that game five inside of TD Garden. I think they feed off of that energy. Um, but I think the Bucks are just just too physical of a team uh, for the Celtics to handle. I think the one thing that, that was working for the Celtics, though, last night was the fact that they were, you know, playing at a quicker pace, and it seemed like the Bucks. They just couldn't keep up with that. My only question is how sustainable is that for Boston throughout this series? Okay. Uh, now, look, um, tell the Celtics fans not to at you. Don't at me now. Don't, don't at, at me, me. please. Just, please y'all. Don't at me. <laughs> Come on. Me. It's, all, it's all love. It's love. It's love. It's okay. All love. It's, just, it's all love. Hey, all right. Here's, a, here's the last thing for you. Last thing for you. And I know. No, I know. But everybody doesn't know. So Amina is from New York. Mm -hmm. Amina has a great sense of fashion. Um, she's gonna hook a brother up. She's gonna take me shopping one day. Uh, we go. We go figure this out. Okay. She, I, I, you know, Amina really knows what she's talking about, and she knows what she uh, is looking at when it comes to fashion. So we just had the Met Gala. And I said mm -hmm. you're from New York City. So have you ever been? And if you've never been, 
if you were invited, say you were invited this year and the theme was the Gilded Age, what do you bring in? What's, the, what's the Met Gear Ensemble, Amina? Man. That's the last thing before we let you go. Man, so one, I've never been invited to the Met Gala, but I will be at some point. Either maybe even covering it, or I will be invited. We're gonna just manifest. I, love, I will that be invited. Okay? <laughs> I'm gonna put that. Manifest. I'm gonna put that out in the atmosphere. I'm gonna be invited. I'll be <laughs> For there. anybody who's listening, got an extra invite? Just let me know. You know, I'm pulling up. But I, I mean, the outfits were absolutely amazing. Um, I would say if I was invited, and the theme, for example, was the Gilded Age, like how it was this year. I would go all gold. I mean, like, you know, I don't know if you saw Cardi B's like outfit that she had, but it was a Versace dress that was like beautifully made. I feel like she hit it right on the head, like the like the whole theme. And she, you know, she she brings it every single time. But I think it would be like a all gold for me. Also, I really love gold too. And so like the Met Gala, you're able to kind of go above and beyond and be extra and be a little weird. Like Tiana Taylor, you see right here, she ate. She oh, yeah. ate at the Met Gala. I absolutely loved it, Holly. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, uh, we think do we think Kim Kardashian pulled off the Marilyn? I mean, that's that's aiming high. Ooh. Marilyn Monroe. Uh, I, I mean, I it's nice. It's nice, but, but I don't not. really like it. I did, it just it was not giving what it was supposed to give, as the kids say. <laughs> All right, listen. Uh, great debut. Great debut. Amina Smith, check her out. Uh, fantastic talent, NBC Sports Boston. Uh, she can do it all, and 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 she can see it all too. Right? Now we look forward to. Maybe we'll do brother from another mm. at the Met Gala. We'll do the Ooh. show from the gala, and then we'll just hang out. I like it. You no, know, bring your husband. Bring your husband. I bring my wife. We'll have like we'll have couples. We'll have a, we'll have a, like a date night. I love at the we'll Met Gala. I mean, who's, who's at the Met Gala? That? Oh, this is Real Talk brought to you by Capital One. What's in your wallet? Amina Smith, great job. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You know, I love, you know, being in those moments. You know, I love being the one to, you know, take those shots, you know, with all that pressure. Um, but also it's just, you know, making the right play. Oh, man. You know, if they try to take me away, you know, I know I got guys on the floor who also can, you know, make a big time shot for us. So um, it's pretty much that, um, you know, I just took it upon myself to, you know, go get a bucket for us to win. Uh, yeah. And tonight, just when we needed buckets down the stretch after getting really good stops, he came through and, and that's what you need. And uh, this is huge growth for him, growth for the team. Uh, but, you know, he's built for these moments. He's only going to get better from them. When you're watching Jaw score the last 15 points of the game like that. I, what goes through your mind as that's developing? Mama, there goes that man. All right, it's a great series so far. Great series. Grizzlies, Warriors, Western Conference semifinals. It's tied at a game apiece. And I actually think this thing is going seven. There are a couple of semifinal series I can see going the distance.
Uh, joining us now, making his brother from another debut, it is Ekam Nagra. He is the founder of the Ball Don't Stop podcast. Is that what it is, uh, Ekam Podcast? Yes, yes, Ball Don't absolutely. Stop. Absolutely, the ba- Pre- Ball Don't Stop podcast. I love it. I love it. So thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate you stopping by. And let's start here because I'm fascinated by this series, Grizzlies Warriors. I put in my feet, I said Grizzlies Warriors, literally. Because these dudes are just like attacking each other. They're going at each other. And we're only two games in. How do you see, before we get into all the extracurriculars, how do you see the series playing out between these two? So this is a really good matchup for the Grizzlies. You know, the Timberwolves series was a different matchup. They had more length at the rim. They had bigger bodies at the rim. So you could disrupt John Morant and, uh, you know, prevent him from getting a rhythm going at the rim. The Warriors are a little bit small if you, if you pay attention, right? They may, I mean, they might have to put Kevin Looney in because this guy's coming out hot, coming into the first half, putting up 25. His motor is reminding me so much of Allen Iverson's. Uh, you know, he has mm. that 90s, to 2000 streak game, you know, and, and he reminds me of the older guards, you know, the ones that guys from my era we grew up watching. And, uh, you know, Steve Francis, Stephon Marbury, Allen Iverson, and the team just goes with him. They got that grit and grind, but it's a modern-day version of it. You know, it's a more athletic team. Uh, it's a younger team, more finesse. Obviously, the game has changed. They can all shoot the ball. They can all switch one to five. So they are able to, you know, get in the dubs and frustrate them. You saw it with Clay. You see in moments where they do a really good job of Steph getting the ball out of his hands as well. Um, you know, the Warriors are lucky Jordan Poole has emerged the way he did. Uh, I just think that, you know, the Grizzlies, if they keep this up and if, if Steve Kerr and them, they, they don't make an adjustment on Jaw specifically, this series could go six or seven, like you're saying. Uh, as of right now, I am leaning towards the dub just because their championship pedigree, just because their experience. And I do think they will make the adjustment to take Jaw out of his element uh, because you saw the Timberwolves do it. You know, he can be contained. He's young, right? Uh, but, you know, the rhythm he's in right now is really dangerous, and it's a confident, gritty group, you know, and, and I think they're ready to push these guys, and they truly believe they can win this series. Okay, first of all, a couple things, Ekam. Uh One, I'm so stealing the Allen Iverson Ja comp. <laughs> okay, I'm stealing that. I'll give you credit. I'll give you credit. So it's not a straight-out steal. It's a citation. <laughs> Check my bibliography. It's going to have ball don't stop cited in there. Uh, but no, I think that's a great comp because there's something about him. You're absolutely right. There is a there's a new school element to job. First of all, his his infectious energy, uh, his hops. We really haven't seen a guard six two six three, who's able to do some of the athletic things he's able to do, and not just on dunks. I mean, he had a couple of I think a basket that put him up by one yesterday. We had Jordan Poole on him, and he just does a couple of moves there in the paint. Jordan Poole is doing this kind of thing. And then John ja yep. just puts up a floater to put him up there. Like you don't see a lot of that, but he does have an old school sensibility to him. Now you say you're going to go with the dubs. And here, here's the one thing that prevents me from saying golden state confidently. And you already referenced it. They're not that big. And not only are they not that big, they're really not that physical outside of Draymond. That's problematic. Right. Why? Because of Draymond is too physical, what's going to happen? He may find himself out in this series. So do you think that that is something the Dubs can overcome? Because that's not going to change. Their personnel is just not... They're going to have to figure out a way to overcome it. 
they're going to have to figure out a way to overcome it. Do you play a Kevin Looney for certain spurts just to, you know, get jaw out of his rhythm early in games? You know, does Draymond, how do we keep Draymond on the floor, you know, without him getting, because he, he, he operates on that 90s, you know, uh, style of basketball. He's, he's a tough-minded, hard-nosed. This is his type of environment, you know, but you can see that he gets a little bit carried away and, and they're penalizing him for it, right? So, uh, you know, I think the Dubs, you know, it's just so much. I think they have that experience edge. I think they have an edge in situational moments where I still see even the Grizzlies, I felt like last night they were having a good finish, but they were still in moments I felt like about to throw that game away. So I think just because they've been there so many times and I do trust Steph to kind of, you know, control the tempo and the pace of the game in certain moments and get it done. But like you're saying, man, like this is looking like a toss-up in certain moments yeah. of the game, and it could go either way, man. The Dubs are going to have to make an adjustment figure out what they got to do. You know, Steve Kerr said something. We played the sound earlier. Steve Kerr said of Dylan Brooks, hey, he broke the code. There's a code uh, in the NBA. We take care of each other. We don't try to hurt one another. Yeah, we play physically, but not over the top where – a guy is, is out for the series and out for the season, uh, probably with a, a fractured elbow. So, is there a code? And if there is a code, Ekam, what is the code? There is a code, but this is playoff basketball, right? Um, the code, I mean, was Dylan Brooks intentionally trying to do that? I don't know. Looking at the clips, I can't say he was trying to, you know, uh, you know, br- br- break down Gary Payton. Look bad, though. You know, like that. It looked yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, I know. It did look bad. It did look bad. But, you know, it was a dirty play that I think went worse than he thought it would. Uh, I do think there is a code, but I love playoff basketball the way it's going. Uh, you know, if if there is a code, it's got to be, you know, pretty blatant. You're not going to go break someone's arm. You're not going to go for someone's knee and, you know, dive on them. I think that's crossing line. I think Patrick Beverly once did that with Russell Westbrook, and it can screw up a team's season, yeah. uh, especially at this point in the year. You know, Gary Payton's a guy that they needed. They needed a guy like that on Jaw. And you see the moment he went out of that game, Jaw was able to, because Gary Payton can cut off middle penetration. He's quick laterally. He's strong, you know. So that is a big hit for the Dubs because now Jaw, there's no one that could stay in front of him for the most part, you know. All right, so uh, talking with Ekam Nagra, uh, he's the founder of the Ball Don't Stop podcast. Uh, really knows his ball. So, look, we, we talked about this uh, before he came on about 10 or 15 minutes ago about Draymond Green and how he chose to express himself last night when he was leaving the court. And it's not just Draymond. Uh, we saw it a couple of weeks ago in Boston. Game one, Nets, Celtics, Kyrie Irving does the same thing. And, and these guys aren't, aren't – forget about the single shot. Forget about the single camera. Give me a double shot here. I, I'm going up with two. I don't want one. I'm going up with two. I just want you to know, just in case you think, oh, is this a is this a judgment call? No, I'm flipping you guys off. How do you feel about uh, the relationship, the state of the relationship between certain star players and certain fan bases? I don't want to generalize, but we've we've seen we've seen a lot of things in the last few years whether it's LeBron getting somebody removed from the game, Russell Westbrook pointing people out in Utah, uh, Draymond last night in Memphis, Kyrie in Boston. How do you feel about the state uh, of of these uh, fan-player relationships? Well, here's the thing. You know, we are in a toxic age of fans. There's a lot of things that are being said. I've been at games. I've heard it firsthand. Uh, Sometimes it gets to a point where it's dangerous because there is racist stuff being said that that goes unheard, right, on TV, obviously. At that point, I understand if a fan lashes out. 
But for the most part, I don't think these guys should be flipping off fans. You know, I'm not a fan of it because it does look a little bit unprofessional on their part. They got to hold themselves, you know, to a higher standard, I feel like. You know, you look at guys like Kobe Bryant, you look at guys like Allen Iverson, the way they were being heckled in some of those arenas and the things that were being said, you know, they didn't ever snap to the point where they were going to express themselves and react to that. Um, you know, the thing is today we're in this social media age where it's 24-7, all cameras on you. You know, so everyone gets caught up. It's kind of WWE where they want to have a moment with the fans. You know, they want to look like Stone Cold Steve Austin for a moment. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they get carried away. They get carried away. So the emotions are, are, you know, multiplied knowing that there's cameras all over us. I personally think they're too above that type of casual stuff, you know. Um, you know, keep it, keep it calm, keep it classy. Just do the work on the court, get it done. You know, cook them on the court. That's how I see it. All right. Well, look, we all have it. Uh, I, you know, maybe a smaller scale than professional athletes. I mean, you're on social media quite a bit uh, with your podcast. And when you're talking about sports, even if you are an athlete, <laughs> you can be a professional athlete. You can be a coach. When you're talking about sports, you have a lot of people who agree with you. Hey, man, Ekum, that's a great point. I love that great insight. There are people, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You never played a game. What do you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's this this type of dialogue on social media. How do you handle it? And have you ever gotten to the point where you say, you know what? Um, meet me at the 7-Eleven <laughs> in about yeah. 25 minutes, and we can handle this. How, how do you uh, how do you deal with the, that type of interaction? So with me, I've actually played the game. You know, I was putting up 25 a game in high school here in Canada. You know, eat, sleep, and breathe the game, train kids, play basketball. So anytime I'm saying things, you know, there's a lot of things backing it up. There's the actual basketball feel and knowledge that goes into it. I do tell these people, meet me on the court. I'll play you for $1,000 one-on-one. we got to put the cameras on, though. And if I, if I embarrass you, you know, this is going to go viral, right? Um, you know, I have a thing that I call, it's called uh, casuals. You know, a lot of this noise, it's a lot of people that are, you know, at times, I don't even think they're, they're looking at the analysis. They just don't like you. So I, I let them know, hey, this is casual noise. I ain't going to participate in it. You have a good day. But it does get frustrating. There's a lot of people coming at me. There's a lot of people, you know, that support it as well. So that's what I just try to focus on and, you know, try to stay the course and keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, focus on the positive. Uh, a couple more things, yeah. then we'll get you out of here. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about Memphis, Golden State. I haven't mentioned Dallas, Phoenix. It could be my Phoenix bias. I think Phoenix is, is really going to uh, represent the Western Conference uh, in the NBA Finals. But how do you see that series, Suns, Mavericks? I don't, I don't think it goes past five. You know, I just think the, the Mavs do not have the, the weapons and the depth to match the well-oiled machine of the Phoenix Suns. You know, uh, they're, I'm looking at them, and, you know, in the first round, you saw Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinby to be able to do what they do, but that's when Luka was off. Now they got to figure out how do we get the most out of Jalen Brunson? How do we get the most out of these other guys with Luka dominating the ball the way he does? And, you know, if, if it's one guy doing everything, you know, Monty Williams, that son squad, Chris Paul, those guys, they're going to figure out a way to stop him and take him out of his game and take the others out of the game in the process. So I'm looking at it. looking It's looking like a four or five game series right now, man, based on what I saw on, on game one. Um, you know, the, the Suns are just such a well-oiled machine defensively, offensively. They got the depth, uh, you know, well-coached. And, and the Mavs, this is Luka's first time out of the first round. So he's going to he's gonna go through these things, right? It's going to be tough. But, you know, I'm not going to count him out. He's a future star. He's a future megastar, right? So... I just think the Suns are, like you said, man, it, for me as well, I'm picking the Suns to come out of the West this year um, for these reasons. And it's just going to be tough. They're on a hot roll right now. 
Well, Ekam, listen, uh, what a debut on Brother from Another. I happen to agree with a lot uh, of what you said. Uh, we are, we're not scheduled for that basketball game in front of the cameras, $1,000. But if we were, if we were, <laughs> what are we playing? What, what are the terms? You make it, take right, it? Are we playing to 11, win by two? Like, what's up? What, what, what are the terms? I, I got to know. We're, okay, so we're playing three dribble max. You got three dribbles against me, okay? You, you, I, I don't have the energy to, you know, you waste my time and dribble 14 times all over the court. Three dribbles, let's see, have, let's see what you could do in limited dribbles, you know? Uh, uh, the game's to 11, you make it, you take it, possession all the way, you know, and, and call your own fouls, you know, but uh, I do get a little physical. And uh, you got, it's a thinking game when it's three dribbles, right? I mean, <laughs> like, come on. Like, you got the, like, you got the advantage because if you're not used to that, I mean, three dribbles, I'll, I'll let you get two. I know what's going to happen on your third dribble. I can be all over you. I, I mean, I got you. <laughs> like, you can't. And, and how about calls? How about calls? Do you respect when somebody said, all right, that's a foul. I'll respect but you know, it. Some I'll people, respect it. Really? Oh, that's so. It. But it's so annoying when people do that, isn't it? Like, come on. It is. Nice stuff. It is. It's frustrating, man. But you got to play through it sometimes. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, I appreciate you, Ekam. Great, great debut on Brother from Another. I hope we can talk with you again. For sure, brother. Thank you for having me. All right, and uh, and best of luck also on the podcast. Ball don't stop. Check them out. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Appreciate it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't informed of that beforehand, but uh, same thing with AJ, right? The team's going to do the best thing that they that they think is is best interest of the team, and um, you know I have no problems with Malik, and you know we're looking to add talent and and um, guys that can help us. So um, you know we'll, we'll add him to the room and, and go from there. Ultimately, probably his goal is to take your job. I mean, that's part of uh, being in a quarterback room in the same room. You know, we're we're competing against each other. We're, uh, you know, watching the same tape. We're, we're doing the same drills. Um, I don't think it's my job to mentor him, but, um, you know, if he learns learns from me along the way, then, um, then that's a great thing. I gotta tell y'all. I tell you, Ryan Tannehill was on one yesterday, and I say that with all respect and love and admiration. Talked earlier about his candor and his helpfulness talking about therapy. I thought that was great. Helped a lot of people outside of football in football and outside of football. And thank you, Ryan Tannehill for talking about mentoring, particularly when it comes to quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks, mentoring younger players. It is a narrative that I find amusing. Uh, Most of the time it's fiction, so it's entertaining, but it's not really rooted in a lot of great examples of reality, great modern examples of reality. Ryan Tannehill saying, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. Thanks for making it blunt. Thanks for making it plain. I agree. I agree. No, it's not your job. I was happy to see Malik Willis wind up 
uh, with one of my favorite franchises, the Tennessee Titans. I like the way they do business. Love their general manager, John Robinson, head coach Mike Vrabel. Covered Vrabel in high school. That's my guy. All right, so I like the Titans. I like uh, their infrastructure. I think that's a good spot for Malik Willis. But to suggest for anyone who thinks that Ryan Tannehill is going to mentor his replacement, where does that happen willingly? I, I, I just can't think of many examples where somebody in a competitive, lucrative, let's not leave that part out of it, competitive, lucrative environment says to the replacement brought in by management. Hey, come here. Let me, let me, let me show you something. Let me show you something. All right. This is, I'm going to tell you what I learned with studying the playbook. This is the best way to study the playbook. Uh, Here are some of my secrets. This is how I got better. I mean, hey, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you leaving early? Wait a minute. You want to be great? Rookie, come back here. Spend a little bit more time. I want you to get to the level where you replace me because I want to leave this franchise in a better place than I found it. No. (laughs) General managers don't, don't think like that. Coaches don't think like that. And quarterbacks certainly don't think like that. So thank you, Ryan Tannehill, for saying that. And and I think uh, it goes it goes that way across the board with great quarterbacks. I remember years ago, what was it, four or five years ago? I can't remember when the Steelers drafted Mason Rudolph in the third round. Draft Mason Rudolph in the third round. Ben Roethlisberger's still there. And people are asking Roethlisberger about Mason Rudolph. It's like, yeah, you know, reached out to him. I don't have a problem with him. But why do why do some fans not everybody but why do why do some fans really embrace really cling to that notion that oh this is awesome uh, we've got our quarterback who we think has two or three years left in his career then we'll push him aside and it's it's perfect because this quarterback will have taught this young player and then we can have this succession plan it's already in place no Forget that. I like mentors as much as anybody, but uh, a mentor shouldn't be competing with you. <laughs> if if your mentor is competing with you, watch your back. Does that sound too cynical? Maybe. Uh, here's another example. Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo in New England. I saw this one up close. Tom Brady in 2013. I know it's hard to believe. 2013, I think he was, uh, let me just do some quick math here. It's not a strength. I think he was coming off his age 35 season, uh, about to turn 36. Yeah, 2013 season. No, he's 36. He's 36, about to turn 37. He's 36, about to turn 37. Got got it, figured it out. Um, And the Patriots drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round. Whoa. First of all, you think about the things that are happening. Like if it's a fifth round pick, fifth round pick, sixth round pick, you might think about mentoring them. You might think about it because they're not a threat. But a second round pick and you feel like you got a lot left in your career. A, we should have spent our second round pick on somebody who helps me, not somebody who's trying to take my job. How about another offensive lineman? It's the second round. So in Green Bay, you'd say, how about a wide receiver? Because that would never happen in the first round. Come on. Anyway, why not, why not bring somebody in who's going to help me, not somebody who's going to 
try to drain me and take my position. But Brady was not feeling Jimmy Garoppolo. As a matter of fact, there was one report out there. I think Seth Wickersham wrote this uh, when he was with, uh, was still with ESPN, but he wrote this on ESPN.com at the time. Seth Wickersham wrote that Jimmy Garoppolo was kind of held at a distance by Brady to the point where Brady, you know, he's got the TB12, you know, he had a workout facility right there at Gillette Stadium. Brady's people locked out Jimmy Garoppolo from the TB12 facility. <laughs> hey, don't mess, don't come from a job now. Don't come from my job. Don't ask me to mentor you. You can sit around, as Tannehill said, you can sit around and watch, and I hope you get better from watching, but not from this, uh, this guided tour. This is not a guided tour. Uh, we're in the same profession. Eli Manning, Daniel Jones, that's fine. That's another one. Uh, I mentioned Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. I, I think these, you know, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts. I, I, I just don't. I know I'm focused on the quarterbacks. You guys help me out here. Help me out. I'm trying to think of somebody who did it, and I really can't. Somebody who did it honestly. Because a lot of guys, let's be honest, um, this is the era that we're in right now, and you know, how you say things is not what you do. It's not what you do. It's how you do it. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. Everything is being judged. Everything's being scrutinized. So some guys will position themselves as mentors because that's good public relations, but behind the scenes, they're not doing it at all. I really can't think of an example of an example in professional sports where somebody is mentoring uh, a person who's about to take their job. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, welcome back to the show. I began the show this way, talking about uh, comedy in general and how it is, uh, it is not safe in these streets, literally and figuratively. It's not safe in these streets for comics and others. Uh, the way we're, we're rolling right now certainly wasn't safe last night at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage and Chris Rock had the line of the night. I mean, there's uh, sometimes out of pain, you get the best comedy. Chris Rock said, hey, was that Will Smith? Uh, which is pretty much the first time he's even he's ever talked about it. Uh, but the, the show went on and, and uh, you know, Doc Johnson is here. Doc, I was saying, I love comedy. I love uh, the construction of it. I love how it pushes the culture, whether it pushes us to accept something that we previously found unacceptable or pushes us to reject something that we should have rejected years ago or uh, gets us to a conversation that we, we weren't comfortable having before. What did you think of what did you think of this incident and and what does it mean? Is it a trend for comedy at large where you just got to be careful with uh, where comics go because it's just not safe? Uh, you know, 
I don't think so, Michael. I don't think so. And the reason why is because this is like the fourth or fifth time this has happened with Dave Chappelle. I think this has to do with Dave Chappelle cresting at a particular place in his sort of comedy arc and his life uh, and, and what it means to be not only at the nexus of, you know, you're a really funny guy and there are crazy stalkers out there and the people who want to go after you, in addition to being somebody who's constantly sort of poking the public consciousness uh, on different kinds of issues, whether you agree with Dave Chappelle or not. So I wouldn't see what happened at the Hollywood Bowl as some sort of trend. But I will say this, the bigger trend, not the Chappelle one, but the bigger trend we can see with things like what Draymond was talking about uh, just a couple of days ago, I guess it was last night or night or two, with the Grizzlies, where you're getting to this point where increasingly consumers of content, whether that's a sporting event or, uh, or a concert or a comedian, seem to think that they can be a part of the act. And the sort of violence against performers as a whole that has been a trend that I find disturbing, whether they're running a ball or they're running a show. But you know, it, it, and Doc, I was saying off the top, it's not just violence against performers. I agree with you. That's that's clear. Sometimes it's performers against performers. Yes. The Will Smith <laughs> incident, uh, and that's example number one, Exhibit A. But it may be just an edginess and agitation throughout the culture, throughout American culture. And, and some people have pointed to COVID, you know, being cooped up for a long time, uh, cultural wars, political wars. I don't know what it is, but there's like an edge uh, throughout the country that maybe wasn't there in December of 2019. Have you seen that? I, I say this all the time, and, and people who maybe aren't political scientists don't necessarily want to hear it. Presidents are moral, cultural trendsetters, okay? You know, uh, things that Reagan did in cowboy hats, it became a part of the culture. It sort of stuck with us even for years after he left office. Barack Obama, it was more than the tan suits. He sort of empowered. I, I don't think you see Black Lives Matter rise the way it did under a Republican administration. There was something about having a black man with a black wife and black children in the White House that made people say, maybe we could try this out. Maybe he's not just going to have the National Guard shoot us in the streets. And so after Trump, what you had is four years of America being told it is publicly okay to threaten people and be violent and be rude and be nasty. It was encouraged. And now you have an entire section of the United States, and I've said for a long time, we don't, there is no Republican Party, okay? There's a Republican organization that is a dime storefront for a terrorist organization called MAGA. But that terrorist organization, masquerading as a political participant, has told people that violence is okay. So whether that's an insurrection, whether that's former President Trump saying you can hit somebody in the head, you know, as a police officer, whether it's people fighting the streets, whether it's folks getting into fights with airline staff over wearing masks, Outward expressions of violence have become more common and unfortunately accepted by a larger, if not louder, part of our American society. And that, that's an unfortunate reality. Again, I think that transcends Dave Chappelle. Um, we're not as bad as, say, like, you know, soccer pitches in Europe where you always got people running on the field trying to stab somebody, <laughs> primarily because our football yeah. players, you know, they got padding. But I think we're kind of getting there at the level of violence that people want to engage in. I'll tell you, like, and some of those become are becoming uh, are, are becoming pretty aggressive too. When they're running on the field, and you see a lot of them get knocked down. Like back in the day, who was it? Like Mike Curtis from the Colts 
like knocked the guy out. Uh, Matt Chatham from the Celtic in the in the wardrobe mal um, wardrobe malfunction Super Bowl. Matt Chatham from the Patriots. Right. Nobody was paying attention to that because they were focused on Janet Jackson. But there was somebody who ran on the field and uh, he had to take him out. He had to take him out. So right. if you go on the field now, now the players are agitated and they want to. They want to mix it, mix it up with you a little bit. Speaking of football, though, there's a transition. Speaking of football, uh, there was an Ugh. NFL draft last week, and your 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 in uh, work in progress. Let's call it that. They used to be your Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> but now you're workshopping this. They had a nice yes. pick in the draft. They took a lineman with their first round pick, but they but they made some interesting choices. Uh, were you paying attention to your current slash former team's draft or were you just kind of an indifferent bystander? So so here's the thing. And Holly, this has always been my belief, regardless of where the Seahawks happen to be. I've always thought the draft, and I know you guys were there, but the draft has never made any sense to me. It is a glorified roll call with like America's Funniest Home Video Clips, right? Like I don't, I don't understand it as a consumer. <laughs> it's like you say a name in the roll call, maybe it gets pronounced properly, and then you see some YouTube <laughs> clips from what the guy used to do. I do not understand the brilliance of the NFL that they have turned roll call, reading the phone book essentially, into a three-day ratings extravaganza. Yeah. Makes no sense. Right. That being said, it's great. Hey. And Doc, but I'm just saying, let me just interject. And it's going up. This thing, this phenomenon is rising because in Vegas, I'm, I'm, I'm out there last week and, and my thought is, why didn't the league think of this before? It's Vegas. Yeah. Vegas is crazy all by itself. But then you bring in hope and possibility and unpredictability with the NFL and there were thousands of people who were, it was yeah. as if they were saying, I was just waiting for you to ask me to dance. I've been here the right. entire time. Why <laughs> didn't you call me before? Vegas and the draft, what a perfect marriage. Perfect marriage. For years, the NFL has been leaving money on the field. I mean, like, literally, this was, it was a, like, it was a, it's brilliant. It is brilliant they turned it into a show. So I paid attention to the Seahawks draft. And, 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 and Michael, my main takeaway is, Man, this would be an incredible draft. You got linemen, you got tackles. It'd be great if you had a quarterback, but they traded their quarterback in order to put together the Lego pieces and the Lincoln logs that's going to be their offensive line and their defensive line. Look, I'm hearing right now that, that my Seahawks are going to go with Geno Smith next year uh, because they don't think that Drew Lock is ever going to work. That could be fine. This is a 4-13 a, a team at best. I do not think they will win eight games. I don't think they can even win seven. And, and what this drafting has shown is that for the first time in years, they haven't sort of overreached for talent, but they're trying to put together a team that doesn't make any sense, a team that will not be competitive, a team that will not be competitive uh, against the Cardinals, a team that has no chance of being remotely competitive against the Rams. There was nothing new that I saw in this draft that makes me feel like the Seattle Seahawks have turned a corner. They're in a long, well, slow, painful prime of DK Metcalf wasting rebuilding. Well, listen, you say you say the team doesn't make any sense. Maybe it does make sense. Uh, they do have their own first round pick next year, right? They do. They, have they own, do. They have their own first round pick. Uh, CJ Stroud. 
of Ohio State. He's one of the quarterbacks who is, is expect, expected to uh, go high in the drafts. Um, Alabama's quarterback, Spencer, uh, Spencer Rattler, is also out there. Hey, there, there's some quarterbacks who are going to be first-round picks. Holly, you know so who's maybe not walking the through the You know who's not walking through that door in Lumen Field? Okay, Marshawn Lynch. You know who's not walking through that Lumen Field door? Okay, Russell Wilson. Ain't nobody walking through that door into Lumen Field that's going to transform this squad to a degree that they can be competitive against Kyler Murray, against Pat Statsford, or even against Trey Lance. Okay, who probably ain't going to play because for some reason the 49ers can't quit Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't see my team moving beyond where they are. Now, the other team that I occasionally flirt with because we DM and like Drake is doing online with that one thing. Uh, the other team <laughs> I'm vaguely flirting with, <laughs> the Denver Broncos. I think they had an adequate draft. They, they added to sort of their defense. That made me look pleased. You know, that, that pleases me. And I have a feeling, look, I think the draft is sort of overrated as far as like giving people draft grades grades and their eventual sort of performance during the season. But I think if you have redeveloped your entire defensive line, which the Broncos have done, that is a good thing. Because quite frankly, at this point, the most important part of your defense in today's NFL, it's not your linebackers. It is your defensive line that can frustrate a quarterback and have him one-star corner. And they, they, they do – the Broncos appear to have that. I don't think the Seahawks have that anymore, but they haven't had a defensive line since Michael Bennett. Yeah, well, look, uh, Doc, I know you love comedy. I love comedy. And so we were talking about that off the top. Unfortunately, this is not necessarily a funny story, and if it is funny, it's unintentionally funny, and that is the Supreme Court. I can't remember. You tell me. Uh, I'm not the historian that you are, but I can't remember the Supreme Court making news by something <laughs> leaking from yes. the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, it's generally, uh, you know, it's really uh, close to the vest, and you find out when somebody writes an opinion, when the court makes a decision, I cannot think of many examples when something, hey, this is coming down from the Supreme Court and the court has to respond to it. Of course, I'm talking about Roe v. Wade and the draft uh, of an email, basically a draft of a decision that is going to be overturned. Right. It, help, help us understand this bizarre unfolding story, develop, uh, unfolding slash developing story. So, Michael, this is this is actually a draft we're paying attention to um, because you can predict what's actually going to happen. This draft. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I can do this all day. I can do this all day. Uh, So so this is the sad part about this. And I had a I I'm, I'm disgusted, but I'm not shocked. Right. Like. The Republicans have been saying they were going to do this for your entire life and my entire life. Ever since 1973, when Roe versus Wade established that people could have abortions legally because they had a right to privacy and an abortion is a private act, this was always something that conservative Republicans were trying to accomplish. It took decades of political manipulation, getting the right kind of senators, and obstructing justice and obstructing the processes and norms of American government to make it happen. So I'm not shocked that it happened. I think the scary part, as I explained to my students at Morgan State University on Tuesday, the scary part is, in order to do this, and I, I need the, everybody in the audience to understand this, 
In order to do this, they didn't just sort of lay out, and it's a coward move too, because they haven't announced it. They leaked this because I think they want to find out how the public's gonna react to it. Um, but they didn't just say, hey, abortion is illegal. What they argued is that one, there's no historical constitutional reference to abortion, so that's something we don't have to abide by. By the way, there's a whole lot of things that aren't mentioned in the Constitution. So if the new standard that the Supreme Court majority is laying out is, if we can't find historical uh, examples of this in the Constitution, then it doesn't count anymore. So that's danger number one. Number two is they basically said the right to privacy ain't really your right to privacy. So that doesn't just impact abortion, that impacts uh, uh, you know, sodomy laws, and that impacts uh, drug use, legalized drug use, and that impacts uh, what your search history happens to be. That validates a whole lot of oppressive behavior around the country. So this was horrible. Uh, it is devastating. It's going to have a serious negative impact on people across this country. I wish that the semi-governing party, the Democrats, had a plan, but they have none. They had strongly worded letters and the gnashing of teeth yesterday, and it didn't do a gosh damn thing. See, I'm so glad you said that because all, uh, in the beginning, when I said, when's the last time somebody joked about their own political party, even though you're not joking, the semi-governing party, hey, we should make fun of the whole operation. We should make fun of Republicans often. We should make fun of Democrats often. Make fun of Biden. Make, for, make fun of uh, Republican and Democratic senators on and on. When you say, though, uh, you know, semi-governing party, are you saying that Democrats have kind of fallen asleep at the wheel on this thing or have just gone with the status quo and said, ah, oh, they'll figure it out. This will never happen. Is, is, that, is that what we're talking no, no, about? No. I want to be clear, Michael. They have not fallen asleep at the wheel. They can't find the damn car in the parking garage. Okay, like they ain't even gotten that far. Falling asleep at the wheel entails that you at least knew where the car was. They're going around like this. In the car. <laughs> yeah, they're walking around the garage right now. Okay, and they have been for years. And this is why. And I know some people find this unpopular. Hey, I don't care. This is why I say the danger this fall, you can't just say, well, the way we fix this Supreme Court problem is by getting out and vote and getting more senators and everything else like that. Tell that to the people who stood in line pre-vaccine and the pandemic in 2020 and voted. Tell that to the people in Georgia who voted in early 2021 to give the, give the Democrats the majority in the House and the slim majority in the uh, Senate, and this still happens. So how do you keep selling people on this? You can't keep going back to the same voters and say, hey, stand in line for seven hours. I know you have an hourly wage job, but I need you to stand in line for seven hours so I can get some more senators. Because I promise this time, if you give me these senators, we're going to win. This is like the team saying, hey, look, keep buying your season ticket. Keep putting down that $10,000 deposit because next year, I promise you, hey. you're going to have a great draft hey. pick. Listen. You have come full circle talking about the draft talking about the Seahawks and you ended it. We're going to land this plane together. You ended it by really sketching out a profile of the Seattle Seahawks. That's exactly what they're doing right now. Hey, hey, just hold on for a little bit. We'll be, we'll get a quarterback. We just traded Russell Wilson. Hey, Doc Johnson, always great catching up with you. We'll see you next oh, week, brother. Awesome, man. See you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.